Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Wine Talk for tonight, Wednesday, August 1st, 2012. It's 11 p.m. Eastern. I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions to info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or Tweet me any questions you like to at Stu the Wine Guru on Twitter, and I'll read them live on the show. I want to say thanks to all the listeners globally for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. If you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, magazines, and TV shows I'm currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing while articles and reviews for Yahoo, Examiner.com, Simply the Best Magazine, and I'm now the contributing wine expert for Mode Lifestyle Magazine and a host on Mode TV. Look for my first Mode Magazine article in the September-October issue. Check out my latest article in Simply the Best Magazine, the July-August issue, which is a lifestyle magazine available on newsstands, Barnes & Noble, and fine bookstores Right now, issues right out. It's about hotels and where you can find a great glass of wine. All my wine articles are now available on any smartphone. Just download the Hello Vino app, and you can take my wine reviews and articles with you anywhere you go. Of course, the number to call in, 1646-381-4860. Or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email me your questions to info at stewthewineguru.com. Again, Twitter is at stewthewineguru, and I'll read all your questions live. Without further wait... Let me bring on my guest for the evening. Uh, he and his family have made great wine in California for many years now. They always get high marks from Robert Parker, Wine Spectator, and Wine Enthusiast magazine. My assessment is that the Cabernet that they produce is one of the best you can drink. The name of the great wine company is Chapelet. My guest is Cyril Chapelet. Welcome to the show, Cyril. How are you? Stu, I am terrific. It's great to hear you. Fantastic. I'm glad you made it to the show. Uh, I, I just want to let my listeners know something. Uh, I'll let you in on something. I have wanted to have Cyril on for a while. It's been just logistics and uh, timing, but I'm happy nonetheless to have you here tonight. So uh, welcome. Well, since you couldn't get my brother, John Mark, to show up and do what he needs to do, it's great that I could be a stand-in. I couldn't be more delighted, Stu. It's great to be able to have a chance to finally get together and uh, hopefully answer a few questions for a few people and uh, let them know what we're doing out here. Uh, uh, it's that awfully nice great. of you to stay up so late. Uh, I understand it's a little later for you than it is for me. That it is, that it is. But, you know, um, you know, wine waits for no one. Um, I have my own questions. I'm going to let you know how this goes. Um, I have people who will email. Uh, some may tweet. 
some may get into the chat room to ask questions of yourself and myself. Um, of course, I have my own questions, so uh, it's not going to be in any particular order. So if you'll just fly with that, we'll uh, we'll have a great time. Um, so I'm just going to mix it up here. Tell my listeners a little bit about Chapel A Wine. Just give them a little overview. And as I had mentioned to you before, for the three or four people that don't know anything about you. Well, I, God, I wish it was that 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 wonderful that there are only three or four people who don't know about us. But uh, for those three or four who might be out there, um, well, let me just give you a little background, who we are, what we do, uh, why we do it. Um, the inspiration of Chapelet was really created by my father about 45, 46 years ago when he decided to change his career and his business and uh, move from Southern California to the Napa Valley at a time it was 1967 when we moved up here, and there was not a lot of barriers to entry. Uh, the Napa Valley was uh, mostly farmers. The vast majority of wineries were uh, were actually at that time still only 32 wineries total in the Napa Valley. And just kind of giving a reference point, as of now, there's over 500 wineries in the Napa Valley. So from 45 years ago till today, the amount of wineries has become gigantic, and most of those are still family-owned uh, wineries, um, a few big corporate wineries, so the mo- most of them are family-owned wineries. And it was my father's interest to try to make world-class wines in California, and uh, he decided that in order to do that, he wanted to uh, search the Napa Valley and see what was available, and while searching the Napa Valley, he was led to believe that the hillside would be a place to uh, set in our roots, so to speak, and to really build our craft and try to help uh, see if we could produce some world-class wines from the hillsides of the Napa Valley. And um, one of the challenges is you have a lot less water and a lot less water-holding capacity, so therefore you get a lot less fruit. But the benefit of that right. is you get a lot of intensity and you get a lot of structure. And um, and that's something that's kind of followed through with our whole winemaking uh career. And starting in about 1969, the uh, first vintage we actually made was 68 stew. And if you ever find a bottle of Chapelet Cabernet, and that's all it says is Chapelet Cabernet that has no vintage date on it, that would be the 1968. And that is because that wine was crushed at the Robert Mondavi winery. It was stored over at, um, at Joe Heitz's winery and then trucked back to us uh, in barrels uh, back up to our winery when our winery was complete. And so uh, because of the laws the way, the way they were then, we were not able to put a vintage date on the bottle. So um, Interesting. Just a little weird fact that uh, somebody finds one of those in their cellar that they should be aware of. And But 69 kind of put us on the map. Uh, it was a remarkably tight, clean, really beautiful wine. It was a wine made by... A, winemaker named Philip Tonier, one of the great winemakers in the Napa Valley and still is making wine over on Spring Mountain. And and it, it was kind of a test to see what we had up here. And uh, in those days, there were a lot of different things grown on the hill. There was uh, some Gamay grown up here. There was right. a lot of Chenin Blanc, Chardonnay, uh, a few different clones of Cabernet. But all of it was grown on the St. George rootstock. And, Stu, you'll know this, and it's something that – that's common to you is that St. George is one of those rootstocks that 
because of phylloxera, everybody planted back then because it was able to survive phylloxera. And, um, but doesn't have a lot of vigor, is not necessarily the best thing for hillside, low water, low, low yield, um, but, but it did make a, some very, very nice wines. So over the years, every bit of our vineyard has actually gotten replanted. And after, you know, a normal vine life is probably 30 to 35 years at max, and so we're in 45 years, so we've kind of replanted everything on the property. And if you ask our vineyard manager, he says he's just starting to figure out what grows well here, and it's it's kind of a quest to do the best that we can grow here. And in the first years, there was a lot of other things planted here. Now we only grow Bordeaux varietals. Um, so right. we have Cabernet, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, Malbec, and Merlot all grown on our hill. And and lots of little areas because of the microclimates of small blocks, maybe two or three acres of a particular varietal on a particular rootstock, which gives us different flavors. So um, based upon that, it was my dad's quest and his dream. And the last 10, 15 years, my brother, John Mark, has been overseeing the winemaking and viticulture. Uh, my sister, Carissa, has dealt with the legal aspects and the long-range planning of keeping this a family business and trying to help make sure that works. And I handle the marketing, the sales, and the administrative part of the business. Um, so, it's, uh, you know, I think we all take positions that are interesting to us and the positions that, that we are really driven to uh, to excel in, and that's, that's why it works so well for us. And I have to say you guys are all doing, in tandem, a fantastic job. Um, we're getting some emails coming here from everywhere, so let me just grab a few. Uh, the first one is from Mario Vasos of Athens, Greece, and it says, Cyril, have tried your 08 Cabernet most recently at a restaurant in New York City. It was fantastic. Which vintage do you believe is the best of the decade for your wines? Great show, Stu. Thanks. So I want to thank Mario Vasos of uh, Athens, Greece. Uh, and Cyril, if you want to uh, chime in on that one. Mario, this is kind of challenging because uh, uh, it's like saying which is your best child, you know. Uh, right. But, but there's no question. We all have kind of our favorites. And uh, and I I think that the right now the 2001 was a really remarkable vintage um, and, and really spectacular but also it's had enough time to start showing a little bit of bottle bouquet and it's starting to just starting to, to soften a little bit. Um, the 08 and 09 are, are really young and uh, fruit forward and showing really well, and, and I'm delighted, and I like the younger wines. But, but I think the true testament to these wines is what do they do given them given this some years? Um, we've been really right. had some great opportunities to try some 75 recently, out of magnums because different people have had them at parties or events. The wine sure, is sure. so lovely. I mean, the wine is just completely integrated, still got lots of fruit. Tannins are, are really round and really nice. Um, so, so as much as I'm the sales guy and I need to get all the wine sold out, um, it sure is nice to come back and try some of those ones when they, when they really come through. I bet, I bet. The next one I've got here for you is from David M009 of Pensacola, Florida, and it says, how do you choose which varietals you'll plant and produce? And that's a good question. Thank you, David M009 of Pensacola, Florida, and Cyril. 
David, that's for for us. The varietals have kind of spoken to us and really told us what grows best here. As to what clone and what rootstock we would use, and and just to to take a second to for for those three or four people who don't know what Zach was speaking about, an, a grapevine is very much like a rose bush. The part that's under the ground, we call that the rootstock, and that's the foundation of the vine. The part that's above the ground is typically the clone or is the varietal, and you could plant on almost any rootstock, any varietal you wanted to. And now the choice of that varietal is the particular clone. Based upon what our soils are around our property, we have learned that certain clones work well on certain rootstocks in certain areas of our property. So mm-hmm. our decision is really more a scientific decision of what does the best and what's going to give us the best flavor techniques or, or, or qualities in order to blend to make our final wine. So, um, David, it's a really good question. We, we've really decided and made the decision that uh, what grows best on Pritchard Hill is Cabernet-type wines and Bordeaux varietals. And based upon that, we kind of have to figure out kind of what the blend's going to be, or generally, so that we have enough of all the different uh, choices out there in the field to to be able to sure. make a better wine. Sure, but, uh, and that you know, and that's a very good, uh, um, concise, in-depth answer uh, to a question that is, you know, I'm sure asked a lot, and and also, um, you know, requires that kind of uh, in-depth answer. Uh, next one is from Aviolem of. Tel Aviv, Israel, and it says, Hi, Stu, I wanted to ask Cyril where he thinks is an emerging wine-producing region. That's interesting. Okay, well, th- well, thank you, Avi Olem of uh, Tel Aviv, your your answer. Where is an emerging wine region? Yeah, um, where do you think, I guess, technically that's what he's asking. Well, that's, where. that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I wish I was more worldly. Uh, I... I've tried wines from a lot of different places in the world, um, and you know, as to what the next great market is or emerging market for for producing wine, um, you know, it's it's a unique situation. Wines and vines that make good wines tend to grow in similar locations around the world. The climatic conditions for really good wine grapes are very similar worldwide. So. So we have to look at that first. And so, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't think we're ever going to see the Antarctic or the North Pole becoming um, the next emerging market. So they're they're kind of out of there. You don't see them in the Sahara. It's too hot. So we have to start looking at, at other areas around the world that might be interesting. And to me, in, in our small little country here uh, of the U.S., I'm, I'm kind of enamored with, uh, some of the Pinot Noirs coming out of Oregon. It's not emerging. It's been there for 15, 20 years, but but, but the wines are getting dialed in. There's a area in California called the Santa Lucia Highlands, which is yes. south of Monterey. I think the yep. Pinot Noirs and some of the Chardonnays out of that area are, might be some of the most remarkable wines out of this part of the world. I think you you're right in the money. Well, that, that being said, our challenge is that that the bar is set so high, the the best mm-hmm. of the best wines, and let's just talk about, you know, the best wines from Burgundy, the best wines from Bordeaux, that's the bar. That's that's what yes. everybody's aiming for. So 
maybe there's an emerging market for a wine that we've never tried before that's going to be staggering and be something new. And, and I hope there is because because I think that's what this is all about is people's palates and finding something that's interesting. So it's a long way around of giving you an, a question for your question. Right. Well, you know, and here's the thing, you know, you have to, and kind of to add to that, people have to realize there are thousands of grape varietals of which, you know, available in the world of which when you really break it down, there's such a small percentage of those grape varietals that are one produced uh, in, in, for consumption and two uh, mass produced that people know about. So having said that, um, you know, you have to put that in perspective when you're thinking about the fact that uh, something could emerge uh, from another country, a particular varietal could emerge that, let's say, we don't drink here or know of, but in certain parts of the world are, are, are maybe well-known. And it comes here and people just, you know, uh, take to it, like they took to Malbec in the past five, ten years, um, you know, and how, how that's kind of emerging and starting to become a, a varietal of choice in red. So, yeah, I mean, that's it, it's an interesting uh, quandary uh, as to how that will happen. And then who can actually jump on the bandwagon and actually produce it? here in the States uh, to to make it something that um, people want to try. Um, let's see, who else do I have questions? I One have real quick questions. little thing. Yeah, Remember yeah. years and years ago, um, the, there was wines that were made in, in Hungary, Hungary and and the, the yes. great Tokais. And, you know, I oh, think yeah. that those wines um, have been kind of reestablished in the world market and, they've be, and they've just become remarkable. A fellow named Hugh Johnson, a great wine writer out of, uh, out of England, uh, kind of fell in love with it, and he really got uh, the Hungarians to, to go back in and continue uh, refarming those vineyards. And um, and so sometimes it's about finding an old location that does something really well and just doing it again. And so there's I think yeah. a number of ways to answer this thing. So great question. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And 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 one last you know note on that, and I won't I won't beat it anymore. But uh, you know. Malvasia and, and Croatia, you know, and the wines there that um, people, when they go there, say, my God, how is this not really super popular in the States? I don't get it. And yet uh, there are a lot of Croatian wines that are, are fantastic varietals. And yet, you know, for whatever reason, um, they don't, either they can't get exported or they don't mass produce enough or there aren't enough people that are, you know, shouting about it or trying to get it to the States. So, you know, there's a lot of different... Uh, a lot of different thoughts on that too. Um, what is the biggest challenge for Chapelet in creating your brand? That's a, number, a question I want to know. The biggest challenge for Chapelet creating our brand. Well, I think it's I think it's it's keeping the message clear and crisp. And and for right now, the challenge is that you know my parents started the winery in the '60s and. And a lot of those people, I'm sorry to say, are um, not drinking much wine anymore. They're they're at the late, either they're they're gone or they're on their way, and they're probably not drinking as much wine as they used to. Um, right. And I think it's making, keeping our wines relevant for the next population of people who are the wine drinkers. And and I I'd say the relevantness from a winemaking standpoint is that wines are made differently today than they were. 25 years and 30 years ago, and I, um, and from 
a quality standpoint, the wines are, have gotten better and better and better, and I mean worldwide. So, I mean, it's not just about our wines. It's everybody's wines. Um, sure. The, so, so I think from a brand perspective, it's being really clear with our message and being really uh, concise and then getting people to try the wines in the bottle. And I think that that's, you know, the bottom line is do you like it or do you not? And if you really enjoy it, um, are we producing wine at the right price level and right quality for those customers who uh, who are interested in our wines? And, you know, we've worked really diligently to try to keep our prices in a very fair level and a very fair price level. Um, and, you know, if you compare ourselves with any of our neighbors, boy, we're the, we're the inexpensive brand. I hate to say the cheap brand because because – Makes me feel terrible, but but we're you know our neighbors are selling wines for three hundred dollars, and I I'll put our most valuable bottle of wine, which is one hundred and thirty five dollars or so, against those blinds all day long, and um, and I think it's a shooting match to see which one you prefer, and it becomes a question personally of, of which wine do you prefer if uh, if money is no object, and then but but our stock and trade is a fifty dollar bottle of Cabernet. That is absolutely remarkable. So I have to I have to say, here's the thing. We were talking before about how producing wine has changed dramatically in the past 25, 30 years, and the quality has most definitely gotten better across the board. Everybody producing it, but I think, and I I, I kind of led into that question about you know your brand and 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 how you create it and how you keep relevant. Uh, the millennials are the next generation that's going to take us into the next 20 years or so of drinking wine and, and what we, what they like and what they don't like. And here's the thing. Social media, things like this, radio shows, um, people on Twitter, people on using social networks and so on, um, and whatever comes out next in the next 10, 15 years, the idea that you can instantaneously talk to uh, a winemaker via any one of these particular mediums and say, hey, had your wine, here's the bottle on my table at this restaurant, at this moment, think it's great, have a question, or, um, you know, what was the thought with the label, or, hey, I just want everybody to know, my followers, whoever they are, that uh, this is a great bottle of wine and you guys should go out and try it. All of that um, anyone, any vintner, and I've said this a million times, that listens and gets on board in whatever way they can will um, succeed, will continue to to be able to um, be creative. And I think those are the people that have to be, you know, kind of forming the direction that winemakers and vintners go in. Um, at least the ones who follow it, at least the ones who say, you know what, uh, I'm completely open to that. That's, you know, we have to be relevant, so therefore the millennials are the ones we have to be listening to. Um, because as you said earlier, the people that were you, that they were making wine for 30, 40 years ago are now not drinking much wine or may not be around. So you have to really look towards the future. I don't know. I just want to get your thoughts on that concept, what, what we're talking about here. Well, I think that – I think we've got a – a terrific winemaking team. We've got we 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 also work really hard not to be tunnel vision, and we do an awful lot to make sure that when we're doing tastings, that if you were in town and we're ready to do a blending and you're available for a few days, 
we like to have people like yourself, Stu, and, and other winemakers that we respect in those tastings with us. And, and there's so much of our final product that is really based upon what our final blending has done. Even though we try to do the best and make the most stellar wine out of every lot and every barrel we make, some lots are different than others. They have different characteristics. They have different flavors. And in blending that, we're looking at blending. So a good example is today people expect to have really balanced fruit. They're not willing to have a wine that's out of balance when they first taste it and say, oh, well, we'll wait for 15, 20 years. The wine has to be pretty darn good right away. It's not something that we can get away with anymore by just making a wine that, ah, oh, we'll sell it, you know, sell it now and it'll be good in 10 years from now. You know, the reputation is important and sometimes the reputation holds well enough to be able to do some of that type of thing. But I think today the millennials, the people who are trying these wines, they want it good right now and they want to be amazed in 10 years from now. And I think that that's really, really our goal. So I'd say the fruit character and the fruit forwardness is probably um, – much more in the wine, and, and and we're looking at pushing the wine more to, to have more flavor, uh, more intensity, but being balanced um, all the way around. So from a winemaking standpoint, that certainly is something that is a might be a departure from from the uh, fr- from the wines made 20 years ago. I agree a thousand million percent with what you've just said. I think it's. I think you're right on the money. The idea is it's got to taste good now. It's got to be good now because look, um, there's so much to choose from. You know, the market is as such that it's flush with you know people from a variety, as we mentioned earlier, a variety of different countries making similar varietals, uh, and people want to be able to, when they have a chance to choose and they're spending their money, whatever it may be, uh, they want to know that. What they're going to taste tonight uh, is going to taste great, and what and if they held on to that, if they decided to buy a couple bottles, one of which to try tonight and one to hold on to, that they know the expectation is going to be it's going to be spectacular when they open it a couple years from now, ten, five, ten years, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I agree. I think you're right on the money there, and that's the best way to to market. Um, just out of curiosity, sir, what varietal personally do you like drinking the most? You know, it, 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 it's kind of interesting because I was kind of thinking about that a minute ago. I was, I was thinking, well, gosh, what happens if you ask me this question? And um, <laughs> so, so, no, it's it's interesting because we make Cabernet. That's what we're known for. And Chapelet is dry. Sure. So I'm going to talk to you about some non-Cabernet wines, wines we don't make. and some Because I enjoy those wines. I drink them every day. Um, I, I taste them, and, and and I love a wonderful big Bordeaux, no question about it. But sure. I also I also love the refined refined structure and the flavors of a really terrific Pinot Noir. And um, and as, as weird as it is, uh, I enjoy both the Bor the, the Burgundy style Pinot Noir, and I'd say more of the um, barnyardy kind of um, you know the, the 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 more earthiness of of the uh, burgundies, and and I and I enjoy that for what it is, and I think that's great with the right foods and everything else. But I've really come to fall in love with some of these uh, 
big, intense, balanced Pinot Noirs, and there's a uh, there's a vineyard and and that I like an awful lot, and there's a fellow two different wineries who make wine for them that I that I'd recommend. One is it's Gary Pizzoni's uh, Pinot Noir out of San Lucio Highlands, and he, so he's the grower, and it's he makes some wine that's very good, but I actually prefer almost the wine that's made by Roar, and it's Roar like the Lion Roars. Um, right. Let me, and, let me hold one second real quick. I, I, we have a phone call I want to take uh, and see what the call, call has to say. Just hold that thought for one second. Hi, Cola. Where are you calling from, and what's your name? I'm calling from Sacramento. My name is Jody. Hi, Jody. How are you? Welcome to the show. Good. Thank you. Um, I was wanting to ask Cyril, um, well, two questions. We eat a lot of spicy Mexican food, and I was wondering what of his wines would go best with that. And then my second question was, I'm a big fan of their cabs, and um, I was I was noticing on their website they're putting in some new vines, and I was wondering if they're ever planning on doing some Sauvignon Blanc in the future. Okay, Jody. Uh, Jody, I'll, I'll answer answer both those questions. Um, the the first, yes, we're always replanting, and um, you know, I think that it, it's for for us to grow up around here and think that well, Dad. Dad never had to replant when he was doing it, and we were we seem to be always planting about five acres a year. Um, from the standpoint of of Sauvignon Blanc, um, it's the Sauvignon Blanc is such a such a, a, an interesting grape, and I think it does very well in certain climates. I think it's a little bit warm where we are here, and I happen to be in love with a Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. Um, yes, it's got a screw cap on it, and it's called Jules Taylor. Uh, they don't send much in the United States, but Jody, if you give me a call uh, at the winery tomorrow, I'll tell you how to get some, because but it's a remarkable Sauvignon Blanc. But my palate, and I'm not sure if your palate is the same way, but my palate uh, really enjoys that characteristic of the grapefruit rind, grapefruit rind smell, and um, and I really love that about that crispness in the Jules Taylor. I have not tasted many, if any, California. The Mary Edwards is pretty close. Um, uh, Sauvignon Blancs uh, that have that characteristic. So I don't see us growing Sauvignon Blanc here um, on our on our property in the replants. I will never say that we won't make a Sauvignon Blanc from buying some grapes from somebody else because we love to experiment, and I think that's really a positive uh, point. So... Your first question was again? Oh, about Mexican food. We just eat spicy so, Mexican food. Which one complements that? Okay, what complements Mexican food? <laughs> you know, a really cold beer or margarita really hits the spot <laughs> usually. Um, you, I, wait, I just want to say something, Cyril. I knew you were going to say that. I just did something <laughs> told me. I knew you were going to say that. Um, Absolutely. I love the honesty. Well, you know, here, here's the challenge. The, the really spicy... Mexican food, and you get jalapenos, and, and you get uh, lots of onions and, and lots of those flavors, and I love Mexican food, too, and the super taqueria in Gilroy uh, is, to me, the the finest uh, Mexican drive-thru that you could ever, ever go to, and and, and I, my truck is 
programs to stop at that place when I'm going back and forth. So, um, and you're not drinking when I'm driving. Actually, I never am. Um, so, um, so I wouldn't be drinking even a beer on that one. But um, you know, there are wines that that go well with spicy food, and I think of wines that go spice well with with spicy Asian food more, normally more so than Mexican food. And when I think of those wines, I think more of some of the Rieslings and the, the some of the wines from Alsace. Um, and if I'm doing something really spicy, I kind of like that sweetness and I like it really cold. Um, and I don't know if it's because I really would just prefer to have a beer or not, but um, if we're doing a wine thing, those would be probably the, re the areas that I might go to. And you can get these Rieslings quite reasonably, and, and I mean not for very much money, um, and and try a really uh, good – and Dr. Lucen is a good name to look for Absolutely. for Rieslings. Um, continues making really good wines. Almost everything he touches, I'd have to say, is pretty darn good, um, and the price ranges are, are pretty reasonable. So I hope if that – If I may, I was yeah. going to interject one second and make a suggestion as well. Uh, Selbach makes uh, an excellent Riesling – you probably can get like a an Auslace, um somewhere around thirteen fourteen dollars, um, uh, a piece porter Auslace, something like that. That would be absolutely right on the money. Oh, okay. it would be good. So just something to think about. I just wanted to kind of add in and, and Trimbach from Alsace. Alsace makes one called a Pinot Blanc that actually would be pretty nice as well. So just something Super. to think about. And I really appreciate you calling in. Uh, and and any call in any time to the show. Of course, you can email or tweet us as well at, at Stu the Wine Guru. Um, I have some other questions here. Um, thank you so much for calling in. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thanks, Jody. Have a great evening. Thanks. You bet. Thanks, Jody. Okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, to ask. I had a other question for you. So here's a question I always ask. This is the one question that is a consistent question for all my guests. If you could share a glass, Cyril, of your wine, any wine that you choose that you like, with anyone, alive or passed on, who would it be and why? Who would I? Yeah. Well, interesting. Anyone. I, so, so I've been fascinated with the a, a writer named uh, Wilbur Smith and never okay. met him before read most all of his books about Africa and um, always thought that, that guy must be a pretty interesting uh, guy um, and uh, so if I could share a, a glass of wine I'd love to uh, share a glass of wine with somebody like that who uh, who I don't know from Adam but I'm just impressed with the, with the books and the way that he writes and, and the knowledge that he has about a, a continent and a country, and so I think that would be a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, there you go. So let me ask you a question. Any upcoming events, any causes, anything that you want to let my listeners know about that they should not miss having to do with Chapelet Wines? Well, you know, we do an awful lot. Uh, you spoke about causes. The first thing I thought about when you said events, I think about all of our marketing events and the business things that we do and the kind of the fun parties. But but when you said uh, causes, it kind of made me think of a, of a very different direction, which is some of the fundraising efforts that we do to try to help um, all different 
walks of life to to have a better walk of life or do something better. And this weekend is one of those times that um, that we are stepping up to the plate again. Uh, and I'll speak about that first, then I'll speak about the Nat Valley Wine Auction in a moment. But um, the Jimmy V Foundation, which is was designed and built to help with research for all the devastating cancers. And um, I am so thrilled with what they are doing and been very involved with them in the last several years of helping to raise money for them. And the Jimmy Valvano uh, Foundation, uh, and the key reason why I think it's so spectacular is that they've found the best oncologists around the world, made a team of those people, and then, then based upon what that team is suggesting for doing research for cancers that are coming close to being able to find cures. And so they're, what they're doing is they're trying, finding the best possible people in the world who are doing research and then helping them by giving them funding or support or helping to move that research farther forward. And whether that's in melanoma cancer, whether it's breast cancer, uh, brain cancer, any number of different things that it could be, um, they have a team of oncologists looking for what the best way to spend the money that has been raised by very, very generous donors from, from all over. And this weekend, uh, Blakesley and myself, my wife and myself, will be uh, spending Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, involved with helping that charity. Um, the last several years, we've gotten with some of the top auction lots ourselves uh, that um, we've been able to create um, that has helped raise money for it, and they've given away over $100 million to in the last uh, 10 or 12 years to help with cancer research. So I'm, I'm very pleased with that and very delighted. And uh, if uh, any of our listeners would like to help support that in any way, all you have to do is go to Jimmy V and on the Internet you find it very easily, and sure. uh, you can find out all about that that foundation. Excellent. So, and uh, now is that on, on uh, Chapelet.com at all or no? You can find it. I think you can find it on us too. You can you can go to ours okay. because we are. You certainly find it if you look at at events because it shows us being there this weekend. Um, right. That would be it. And then the other thing that we dedicated a high percentage of this last year to that we uh, have finally recovered from, which was hosting the Napa Valley Wine Auction, which is the largest uh, charity fundraising wine auction um, in, in most years. Sometimes Naples beats us, but but it's really not about how much money we raise. It's really about raising money to give back to the community to help the uh, impoverished and people who really need help in our community. And many people think of the Napa Valley as just being this very, very uh, uh, avant-garde, uh, wealthy community that that uh, there, there's no challenges at all. And that's not the case. There are people who do need help and uh, and people who are, who would go without. And uh, so it's basically... Uh, to raise money for um, hospital and medical needs, and then also uh, the more underprivileged people to make sure that one of the things that I'm very proud of is that there is no child in the Napa Valley who does not have complete insured health care. And so any child who goes to any hospital or any doctor in the Napa Valley, the doctor does not have to worry about whether he's getting paid for it or not. There is a safety net there to make sure those children get the very, very best care. And uh, we raised $8.2 million in one one evening in order to uh, help that with about 
a year's worth of planning and, uh, uh, and and kind of love and push back and forth to make things happen, to make it happen. And very proud of that and delighted that we could have done as well as we did. That's fantastic. Well, those are, those I wish those I had. Go ahead. Well, the other I'd say the other fun thing is we try to do things here at the winery. You can look on our website and look at events that we're doing. We, my goal to my wife and myself is that we're not going to go do some event just because it's there. We're going to do the ones because it's going to be fun. It sounds like some really interesting people are going to be there, and and we're going to laugh and have a great time with some people. So one of the things that we do every year in May is go to a ranch up in Montana called Triple Creek Ranch where we can play cowboys, and um, it's a Relais Chateau dude ranch. Uh, we do it every May. It is an absolute blast, and the food's fabulous. The wine pairing and the food really work well together. So um, so that's one of them. We do plenty of other things throughout the year. I've got a cruise going in so the 19th of uh, of August. I'm flying up to Juneau, and there's still space on this American Safari Cruises, uh, and there's still, I think, two cabins left on it. There's only... 80 guests on the ship, and it's a small expedition ship, and we'll all just be going in and out of the small little islands uh, and and getting off on the islands. I have numerous places all around Alaska looking at the glaciers um, and all around the Juneau area. And so I'm expecting it's going to be a great fun for us, and if it's fun for us, I sure as heck hope it's going to be fun for our guests. I, think, I imagine it will be, definitely. Well, I want to thank you. I, I wish I had more time. Uh, you have been fantastic and very gracious, and um, I have put the um, website both on my on my website, uh, a link there, as well as in my chat room, so people have been able to go in and look at that and click on it. Um, in addition to that, obviously, I, I've you know talked about it via um, Twitter, and that link will be on my website permanently. So the good thing about it is in, within the next 24 hours, this radio show uh, will be available on iTunes as well as on my show page and will be on my show page forever. And um, I, I really I look to, forward to getting you on my show again. Um, you're a blast, and uh, it's a lot of fun talking with you, and I'm glad we were able to answer some questions from people from all over the place uh, in addition to callers. So thank you so much. Thank everyone for me uh, at Chapelet, and I urge anyone that, that is going out to California to get to your winery, to get a chance to experience your wines, go out to your local wine uh, retailer and try them there as well. Uh, go out to a restaurant, and if it's on the menu, on the wine list, give it a shot. I, I, I suggest always a great cab with a great steak, um, but you know you can also pair it up with many other things. And Cyril, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Stu, it was a pleasure, and uh, I'm sorry that we're not both on the same side of the, of the country so we could be having a glass of wine together personally, and uh, I trust that we'll be able to do that soon. And we thank will. you to all your listeners for being willing to uh, to uh, work their way through the uh, – it seemed like it was 10 minutes, but I guess it was longer than that. That it was, I know, but that's okay. Uh, it was. I think it was enjoyable for everybody, so that's the best part. Well, Stu, thank you very much. It was a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you next time you're out. You got it. Thanks again. Take care, Cyril. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. 
So that was Cyril Chapelet of Chapelet uh, Wines. Um, I want to thank him for coming on the show. That's the show for tonight. Thanks for the great feedback from Twitter, Facebook, social media on my new TV gig, NBC's Miami Nonstop Channel Show, Nonstop Foodies. It's now gone national. So my segment, Your Wine List, uh, airs nationally, uh, locally, five days a week. You can check your local listings and channels. Down here in South Florida, it's Advanced Cable Channel 133 and Comcast Channel 216. Very proud of this project and being on NBC's show. Keep reading Simply the Best magazine on newsstands all over Florida and on the Internet at simplythebestmagazine.com. More on my wine articles and reviews. Look for my featured wine articles in Mode Lifestyle Magazine worldwide. Watch me on Mode TV coming to Fox Business News Channel and Ion TV. I've also done interviews for Rye TV in Italy, the Midlife Road Trip Show, and Key West Kitchen. Links are posted on my website. I'm answering your requests for in-home wine tastings, corporate wine tastings, pre-flight jet charter wine tastings, pre-launch yacht wine tastings here in South Florida and